Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Welcome to episode 88 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. And this episode brought to you by a whole multitude of sponsors, including Manscaped, NFL Sunday Ticket, and BetOnline and DealDash, which have been around for a while. And a few things here as we start off today's podcast. First, the Lions have worked their way down to essentially an 80-man roster. At the time of this recording, it is actually 81 because Jalen Elliott remains the only Lions player on the COVID-injured list. That's because three other Lions came off of the COVID-injured list over the weekend, including tight end TJ Hawkinson, punter Aaron Sipos, and cornerback Amani Awarie. That's important for different reasons for different players. For Hawkinson, the Lions want to get that physical done, see where he is coming off of the season-ending ankle injury last year. Aaron Sipos, it's important he came off the list as soon as possible because he's competing with Jack Fox in a wide-open punting competition. And for Amani Awarie, he's right now the likely number four cornerback on the team. So he needed to get off this list too because he doesn't want to lose ground in that competition because there's a lot of players behind him, including Mike Ford and D. Virgin, that could really maybe push for that spot. Also, as I mentioned, the Lions did cut some players on Sunday. Some names that I guess I was a little bit surprised by, but it's clear in looking at what they've done, they made a decision to stick with their undrafted free agents and get rid of guys that have been around for a year or two in most cases, and maybe they just kind of know what they have at that point. Of course, don't forget, the Lions love to back-end churn the roster, so it's entirely possible even though one of these players is gone for now... They could end up back in Detroit at some point here in the future, especially if COVID makes an appearance and kind of see what happens there. Among the players cut, two wide receivers, Chris Lacey and Travis Fulham. We had talked about them on a couple of different podcasts in that I felt that both of them might be in that competition for a depth receiver spot, but both of them probably had an uphill battle to get past Marvin Hall and Quintez Cephas and Jamal Agnew and definitely when Geronimo Allison was on the team before he opted out Geronimo Allison, but maybe even Jeremy Davis because of his special teams ability. So I can understand why the Lions would clear out maybe a little bit of a very crowded group and see what happens because they also know what they have in Lacey and Fulham. They were both on the team last year. They both got reps last year. So in a pinch, if they're available, Detroit knows that they know the playbook and can come in. The biggest name, quote-unquote, to get cut is Josh Garnett, who signed in the offseason with the Lions. He's a former first-round pick of the San Francisco 49ers. It looked like he might get a shot to compete at guard, but I think once the Lions drafted both Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg in the middle rounds, and then they re-signed Kenny Wiggins and Odea Boucher, and they still have Bo Benchwall on the team that they were pretty high on as a developmental player. 
that didn't necessarily leave a lot of room for Garnett to really have a shot unless he completely dominated during practices. Then, obviously, COVID hit. We don't know what he looked like during strength and conditioning workouts, but he was in a tough spot as well to make this team, considering the depth that they had that already had experience with the Lions and the two draft picks that they brought in that, that are not going anywhere, combined with Russell Bodine opting out, that does give a lot more clarity to the interior of the offensive line now than they had in the past. It'll maybe just be more interesting to see what happens with Benchwall, Wiggins, and Abushi, and how those spots, maybe there's two spots for three guys in that scenario, get really worked out. The Lions also executed a trade on Sunday. Uh, one of the players that were going to release was cornerback Michael Jackson. He played in one game last year, but hung around, was often inactive for games. Instead of releasing him, which they actually announced, by the 4 o'clock kind of announcement time when deals become official and moves become official, Detroit instead decided to trade him to New England for an undisclosed 2022 draft pick. Now, considering the Lions were about to release him, I can't imagine that they're going to get much back here. It wouldn't shock me if this is a conditional pick, and it wouldn't shock me if this is somewhere in the very, very late rounds for a player that has one career game under his belt. But the Patriots needed players. They had a ton of guys opt out. So that's just something to watch, too. Another player that did end up getting cut was defensive end Jonathan Wynn. And here is why Jonathan Wynn getting cut is interesting. It's simply because right now he was kind of the number two defensive end on the roster just based off of injuries because Romeo Aquara is on the NFI list and Austin Bryant is on the pup list. So what does this mean? This probably means that either the injuries to Aquara or to Bryant, or to both, are not considered serious, and that one or both of those players could end up being back sooner than later for Detroit. It also could mean that Detroit's really investigating bringing in another defensive end that's maybe a higher quality defensive end than Jonathan Wynn. So that's going to be something to watch, I think, over this Monday, Tuesday time frame as they ramp up for really the start of true training camp practices next week and what they're going to do to be able to bring a guy in. They also did cut linebacker Christian Sam. Linebacker is a logjam position at the depth spot. Christian Sam, to me, never really had a true chance at getting on the roster. So he is off of the team for now. But again, like I said, I think that any guy that's cut from any team in the NFL Don't be surprised if they end up back because, again, of what teams are going to want to try to do and try to have to handle when it comes to COVID. So we have a fun guest here on the episode today. Mina Kimes, my colleague from ESPN, the former host of ESPN Daily, who's moving over to NFL Live. She is going to be on the podcast right after this break. We had a great conversation about Daryl Bevel about the Lions, because if you listen to her podcast, she is pretty high on the Lions, and we get into a little bit of different situations for Detroit and in the NFC North this season that are going to be worth watching. Mina's podcast is great. Go check it out, the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, and she was fun to have as a guest on this podcast as well. Hopefully, you'll enjoy that right after this break. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays! They're coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. And listen, have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you would never, ever believe. 
They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. Count up 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item, it's yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code ROTHSHOW or DealDash.fm backslash ROTHSHOW. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash ROTHSHOW, R-O-T-H-S-H-O-W. And hey, listen, this is for the guys out there. Support for the Michael Rothstein Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Listen, we've all had it. You know, if you're an adult male or an adult female, but definitely an adult male, you've all had it. You've looked down there and what am I going to do with that hair? And sometimes you're you're at a loss you don't know what to do Uh, you know there's scissors there's shavers there's razors but there hasn't been manscaped and that's why manscaped is redesigned the electric trimmer the manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 the third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin stay Skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave and make sure everything looks really good. The waterproof technology allows you to even take care of this in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology and let's not forget about the charging stand show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by usb if you're listening to me speak right now i want you to experience it firsthand for yourself take care of yourself down there get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code rothshow at manscaped.com you'll thank yourself Get 20% off again and free shipping with the code ROTHSHOW at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code ROTHSHOW. That's R-O-T-H-S-H-O-W. And now, back to our show. Just a quick editor's note here before we get into the interview with Mina. So Mina and I talked a bit about the Matthew Stafford situation with the false positive towards the end of this interview. We did this interview on Friday morning. This was a few hours before the NFL came out with their own changes to COVID-19 testing protocols to try and help solve some any false positive issues. So if you're listening to this and saying, hey, I thought that was handled, it was handled on Friday afternoon, what's going to happen now for players is if they do test positive, they're asymptomatic, they take them two nasal tests the following day. If both of those tests come back negative, then the player in the league's eyes is not considered positive for COVID-19 and they can resume all normal activity, including having access to the team's facility. So this obviously is a change and it is an addition from what Mina and I were talking about, but we want to just make that clear before you listen to this interview and say, hey, what the heck's going on? So with that, I bring you myself and Mina Kimes, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. My next guest on the Michael Rothstein Show really actually needs no introduction if you follow ESPN at all. She used to host ESPN Daily. Now she can be part of NFL Live, and on her own podcast, she basically thinks the Lions are going to be pretty good this year. <laughs> We're going to get into that. Mina Kimes, welcome to the Michael Rossi Show. I'm going to walk that back a little bit and say it's more that I think anyone can win the NFC North. 
And I, I do, so I, I, I suppose I might be higher on the Lions than the consensus. I will say that. Um, but a lot of it is relative. So I, I, I'd love to be a Lions enthusiast, but I, I do want to play it safe. Honestly, and let's be honest, that is the smart move. Because if you follow the Lions throughout the last past 60 years, you know that hedging your bet too far on them being any good is not necessarily the best proposition. <laughs> Especially when their head yeah. coach is 9-22-1. and one. He honestly, and we, we can get into this, is kind of the limiting factor for me in a lot of ways, uh, as well as some question marks across the defense. But those questions are interwoven with his, what I believe to be rigidity in that area. Um, and, like, I, I actually would venture to say if they had a different coach, I might be more optimistic about the Lions than I am. But I think you can make a, te- a case for them and every other team in the North to win the division. Um, probably the Bears being the weakest, but you, you can make a case for them too. Oh, I, I think defensively you can absolutely make a case for them because I, their defense, you know, Khalil Mack is back to normal. I think that could really be a game changer there, especially, again, with less preparation and, and everything that will go into the differences of this season. Because imagine you're a team that all of a sudden on a Friday loses your left tackle, you know, or both of your tackles to COVID and you're facing the Bears, well, as long as Khalil Mack's healthy, you're probably going to have a really long day. Yeah, and getting Hicks back for them is enormous. Absolutely. Uh, and for, for Mack as well, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a really, I think, interesting dynamic within the division. And I guess maybe before we get even into the lines, let's start there. Like you said, you feel anyone can really win the division. Where do you see maybe the weakest unit and the strongest unit of all eight when you look at, you know, take special teams out of it like offensive defense. sure yeah so i give a slight edge to the I, so i did a nfc north pod on my the meeting time show featuring lenny with courtney cronin who covers the vikings and i told her at the beginning i said i i'm going to decide at the end how i feel about these teams because every day i change my mind on uh who should win oh and if you're gambling you should take the lions no question by the way just from an odds perspective but straight up um, I ended up giving a slight edge to the Packers because as I went through the depth chart and looked at some of the underlying metrics, I think the defense should still be pretty good. Um, I think they, you know, have the best pass rush. Uh, well, you know, we'll see what happens with Mac this year. Um, I like a lot of pieces in that secondary, had some losses as a linebacker, but overall I still really like uh, that defensive line, that front seven. I think the question everyone has is why didn't they, you know, add more skill players to help Rodgers, I think um, that would probably be the weak link still, although I'm a little bit higher on Alan Lazard than other people. Um, but it, obviously, it's still a huge question mark for that team. Uh, and it came up short in the postseason as well. So with Minnesota, I think you could either go offensive line or secondary for the weak link. I'll go secondary just because th- th- this team, I-, I came into the exercise wanting to pick them because I think the offense has a chance to be quite good. But there's so many rookies. Um, you know, the, the whole secondary got wiped out. And while I love the draft pick, it's really a bunch of question marks back there in that, you know, complicated Mike Zimmer scheme. Although, you know, they get, the, they get to play with the best safeties in the NFL, the best safety tandem. But still, that's – I also question where the pass rush outside of Daniel Hunter is going to come from. Uh, having let Everson Griffin walk, he's still a free agent. A uh, lot of question marks there. Michael Pierce, not a pass rusher, but opted out. So I would say that's the biggest issue for them. The strength, I'm still high on that offense. I know it feels like replacing Diggs with Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, the rookie, straight up is bad. But you have to take into account the fact that Adam Thielen didn't play most of last season. So you're not, it's not really like a one-for-one one thing, you know. Um, I think it's a really – I love Gary Kubiak. So I think that offense can be really good. Bears, strength is defense. We already, uh, you know, talked about that pass rush and getting Hicks back. And I think that'll help the secondary as well, which struggled because of the lack of a pass rush. Um, obviously, quarterback is just a massive, massive question mark <laughs> on that team. I think Foles gives you more upside, but he's such a high variance guy. Like every year, it's, it's just a roller coaster. Um, and we'll see if he even starts. Honestly, it's one of the more interesting. I think the lack of an offseason probably impacted that team more than any team in the NFL, right? Because we would have gotten much better insight into what that offense would look like. Finally, Lions. 
um, the strength of that team is offense. I think I tweeted, I think they could be the best offense in the division. They were the best offense in the division before my uh, Stafford got hurt. Yeah. Uh, if they can sustain what him and uh, my beloved Daryl Bevel did at the beginning of last season. And then the weakness, uh, I, I still think the pass rush is a big question mark. So, I mean, the, the defense too, you know, actually really at every level, there's questions. But I, uh, I would say with the addition of some of the Patriots that they imported, I'll go pass rush. No, I would agree with you. No, the pass rush for sure, because already, I mean, listen, the, to me, the bigger concern on the defensive line for the Lions is the interior, actually, even in the edge, because at least yeah. on the edge, you have Trey Flowers. You know, like, he's a good player. You basically know what you're going to get out of him. On the interior, getting Danny Shelton, who, eh, we'll see. Good run stopper, but you're not going to get right. much pressure. Yeah, I mean, he's, he basically is your Snacks Harrison replacement, and we'll see how that goes. Obviously, Snacks didn't play at a very high level last year, at least to the level that he used to be at. Then you're banking a lot on Nick Williams. Nick Williams, who has six career sacks all last year, and he's 30. Like, that's your second tackle right now, unless you kick Deshaun Hand inside. Deshaun Hand obviously dealt with injury yeah. after injury last year. But then you look at what already has happened. Sure, we both know, right? NFL, NFI and pup lists can be whatever. But, you know, the guys can come off in a week. But Austin Bryant and Romeo Aquara are already on there. So their number two defensive end right now is Jonathan, unless, again, Deshaun Hand, is Jonathan Wynn. I'm not going to lie. I don't know who that is. And that's all right. You know what? <laughs> I, I know what he looks like. I think I had one conversation with him, like, in an entire season because he was on the practice squad most yeah. last year. Like, that – but that's what that tells you. So – that's where I think it could get, we were talking, you mentioned Everson Griffin before, not that there's any indication the Lions are going to go down that road, but they do, they have top 10 cap room and they clearly know what he can do. Matthew Stafford definitely knows what he can do because he's seen him in his face time and time again over the last few years. You add him, I think that that changes the whole game. Another guy I would look at is Jabal Shared, who yeah. has those New England ties. And I was going to say better a, scheme fit to me than yeah. Griffin in some ways. Oh, the Griffin's a better player, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so I like that's – but yeah, that pass rush is just – but you're right. Every level of defense has questions because the linebackers, there are a lot of players, but you don't know where they're going to put any of them, right? And then the secondary, yeah. like, sure. I mean, let's see what Jeff Okuda <laughs> does. I mean, Jeff Okuda, Okuda be, could be awesome, but – Jeff Aguda, my favorite, him. arguably my favorite player in the draft, by the way. Like, yeah. I, I think he, if you built a cornerback in a lab, it would look like Jeff Okuda. He can do everything. And, and what you'll hear, I'm sure, over the course of the offseason is, oh, man, perfect fit. You, know, you can play man, press man. He's athletic. You can put him on an island. He's, he can definitely replace Darius Slay. All that's true, but he's what, like 21? You know, it, yeah. it's just, it, it's challenging. Now, I will say um, – my frustration with Patricia is, to me, it's felt like the last two years, he has not adapted scheme to talent. Um, you know, he has come in and said, we're going to do the New England thing. And yeah, we don't have New England players yet, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to blitz. I'm just going to rush three. I'm going to put you on an island and you're going you're gonna to win. And that's just not good coaching, right? And Lions fans are a little upset. I... I I think I posted the numbers or when I was doing this, my division preview, the numbers before and after the Diggs trade. And look, there are of course a lot of other variables, Tracy Walker's injury. Diggs wasn't playing well in Detroit, but if you watched how he played in Seattle afterwards, he was awesome. You would, you, you, what you should think is, huh, maybe my coach should have adjusted the defense to get the most out of the players I had unfortunately for Patricia, he now has better players for his scheme. I would say, you know, Deron Harmon, total, you know, he is the consummate New England safety. He's yes. excellent. He is great in structure. He'll be terrific. Um, Jamie Collins is a perfect example, I think, of a player where you see how usage is so important um, because in Cleveland, when they just use him as a pure edge rusher, he was not good. Okay, then you go to New England where he becomes this amorphous off-ball guy, occasionally blitzing. That's how Patricia's going to want to use him to get the most out of him um, now that he's here in Detroit. Yeah, and it's Jamie Collins actually talked on Thursday, and that was basically what he said. He 
talk about Cleveland all that much, but he basically, someone asked him what he, where he sees himself, what his role is. He's like, wherever they put me, but that's basically what they did in New England, which makes yeah. a lot of sense. And yeah, Deron Harmon is a really good fit and it allows them, I think, to move Tracy Walker around a little bit because Who's Walker's there? rangy enough where he can play back if you need him to, but he's, he's a big enough hitter that he can go down in the box, which helps them and gives them, like you said, more versatility but yeah, Jeff Okuda, like you're talking about the island, like that, if they, they have Desmond Trufant, so you would think that he will be the number one corner out of the gate. But if they decide to put Okuda there, or if they just decide to play sides, well, that island might be very quickly Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, week one, two, and three. Oh, and then play Drew Brees and Michael Thomas before the bye. Like, you might be great, Jeff Okuda, but like... Yeah, it's a tough... Good tough luck ask. to you. <laughs> it's a tough ask, yeah. And you're going to really need a bounce-back season from Justin Coleman as well to, to help him, you know? So um, it, it's, it's one of those units where on paper, when you look at the center, secondary, I can... And, and I didn't mention Trufant. Um, I think he can play man, right? You know, he, that intermittently in Atlanta. He, he's a guy, obviously, who was phenomenal uh, coming out of college. And then his performance... he horrible injury performance really took a dip uh but we've seen he has it in him to be uh, a top tier corner i think at this point you're probably not gonna hit those highs again but still on paper like top to bottom if you look at these names you can see a universe in which it comes together um the problem is that universe uh, is contingent upon a very spotty pass rush as we discussed right so you're, you're asking a lot out of these guys who have not played together uh, but you also didn't really augment the front of the defense. Right, which, going back to what you were talking about before, when you were breaking down kind of your strengths and weaknesses of the division, seems to be a theme with potentially a lot of teams in the division of like, hey, other than the Bears, pass rush a little bit of question other than certain guys, Neil Hunter, Trey Flowers, you know, maybe a little bit of what's going on in Green Bay. But I like Green Bay. I, I think I they're you still like going to wreck, wreck, You're wreck, higher wreck on Green guys up front, yeah. than I am. You are. Yeah, like, yeah it's a, that's fair, yeah. I know, I mean, Zedaria Smith, can't, like, he had such a career year. There's a reason I yeah. think he's, his numbers will come down. One thing I will say about him is sometimes when a pass rusher has, like, an insane bonkers, like, 40, you know, 8,000 sack year, um, there are things you can look at to see, okay, well, what was – you know, was he a benefit of scheme? Uh, how often was he double teamed? How many pressures did he get? What was his sack to hit ratio? And the underlying numbers suggest that Zedaria Smith was actually as good as he seemed. Um, I think he also obviously benefited from playing next to, you know, Kenny Clark, who's like one of the most underrated players in the NFL at this point, and Preston Smith. Um, they need, uh, what's the kid they drafted out of Michigan State? Rashawn Gary to really live up to his draft status as well. But they, they've got a lot of bodies there. Um, totally punted on linebacker, by the way, which is seems to be another theme I've noticed around the NFL. But I, I like I like Zedaria Smith a lot. Yeah, the Packers really definitely were either like, we're going to really pay attention to this position or just pretend it doesn't exist. Wide receiver, linebacker, whatever. Right, Lions I, are the best wide receivers in, you know, the division at this point. Probably, yeah, I, I would say so. I, I mean, I'm really high on Justin Jefferson. I think he's going to be fantastic, but – like with every rookie, I think it might be less for receivers that not having any sort of off season and really having yeah. like two weeks is going to be really, really rough on guys. I That's think. a great point. Yeah. And you guys have the benefit. I'm again, you know, Galladay and Galladay's so sick. He's, oh, he's probably so, one of the it, most yeah. underrated. Is he, he, it's his contract year, right? It is a contract year for him. And that's it. He, I mean, I still think he will get a boatload of money and, Every indication is the Lions would like to keep him for a long, long, long time. But obviously, with the salary cap questions and what could happen and what could not, who knows what any of that's going to Taylor Decker was actually talking about that because he's in a contract year, too, of like, yeah, this is – he liked using the word uncharted territory. But then he's like, I tried paying attention to it, and I realized it would just drive me nuts. <laughs> Good attitude. Um, yeah, God, God he, they really should pay him because – if you look at what Stafford did last year, where, you know, the adjusted depth of target increased by like 20 yards per attempt or whatever, and uh, Bevel just uncorked him, you really can't do that without Galladay, right? Who's to have like a vertical threat like that, who's also powerful and a contested cash guy is so rare 
in this league. Um, and, and, you know, I love how they all work together. Him, Marvin Jones in the intermediate area, Amendola. I think Hawkinson takes another step forward as well. But Galladay, to me, is the rarest talent of all of those yeah. guys. And you re- he's just so key to that scheme. Oh, absolutely. And the fact that both of the outside guys are not speed guys, but contested catch guys, I think helps Stafford a ton because he has, you know, the beginning of his career, maybe the best contested or second best contested catch guy in history behind Randy Moss that he threw to when he was young. So he knows how to do that. And he knows where the ball placement that Stafford has, I think is very underrated and that people don't always notice. I remember, and I mean, everyone talks about how hard he throws it. Right. I remember I was out on the field before one game and like, all of a sudden you could just hear it. You could go, and I was like, (laughs) I I remember looking over and I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Like his arm is insane. Yeah, it's it's just completely completely bonkers. Uh, but you know, I the Packers receivers, like we were talking about when we were talking about receivers a little bit. I think them not having Funches this year. I know you're high on Lazard. I actually am too. But that's like a super thin margin. Uh, oh yeah. You know, after Lazard, it gets real ugly. Like, yeah, like uh, MVS was terrible. Yeah. Uh, they just have not developed guys at all. And Geronimo Allison, who they were kind of sort of working on, goes to Detroit. Now he's not playing this year because he opted out. So it's if Devontae Adams get hurt, gets hurt, I, I mean, do they just say, all right, we're just going to give the ball to all 700 of these running backs we have? And <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a really strange approach to me. I don't know how they don't sign like a Paraman or what's, you know, I mean, Robbie Anderson didn't cost any, like oh, the receiver market was pretty uh, shallow this year side of Amari Cooper. Um, and obviously it was an all-time draft, but especially if you look at the ways in which Rogers struggled last year, um, he could still make those crazy explosive Rogers plays. Like, you know, his deep ball numbers were actually still pretty good, but he was weirdly bad on play action and in the short intermediate area. So basically the easy stuff is where he was not as good last year. And he still, you know, avoids turnovers and all that and in very Aaron Rodgers way, but it is very obvious. Like he doesn't have a security blanket. Um, They didn't add a tight end. They're, you know, counting on Jay Sternberger to be the guy, I suppose. They might add a tight end, I don't know, but not a like well-known guy. So I, I don't get it at all um i know everyone says lafleur wants to go super run heavy and you know and do the shanahan thing and obviously they have really good backs but i don't understand the approach at all it seems like every team in this division wants to do that in some form or fashion because i mean matt patricia matt patricia really want even though they have all like he loves running the ball and then obviously the bears with their quarterback situation kind of have to and then the Vikings have Dalvin Cook. They shouldn't either. Yeah, it's um, it's a lot of defensive guys. It, it is. You know. Well, I mean, Lafleur's not, but I, right. I don't know, man. I like Bethel a lot, and when you guys hired him, I everybody was like, "Oh, that stinks." I was like, "No, he's actually a really good coordinator." He got totally unfairly, I think, maligned after his tenure in Seattle. Like, go look at the you know DVOA of those offenses, but he does run the ball more in early down game neutral situations than I would like. Now, and obviously the Lions also, we didn't talk about this, um, drafted a running back, which suggests that, who I think is a great player, but that also suggests they might uh, be committed to that as well or, you know, are desperate to finally have a, a good run game. And, and I, I, again, I don't know how you can look at what Matt Stafford did last year and how explosive that offense was when he aired it downfield and think less of that more running the ball on screens. Like, that's not what I would do. But ideally, Bevel will – what he wants to do is, you know, integrate that explosive passing game with play action, with a run game. So we'll see. Well, and you you know probably Daryl Bevel better than anyone I've had on this podcast just because of your paying attention love of the Seahawks. <laughs> what, what do you remember from kind of like year one to year two of Bevel – that you saw that really stood out to you back then that maybe could correlate, obviously often, you know, the 
players are different and kind of the strengths I think are different, but where, yeah. where do you think there could be correlation there of what people could expect? It is really hard because it, it is such a different group of players. And, yeah. and also Russell Wilson is probably the most unique, not at this point, but back then he was so unique um, that I think you saw Bevel in real time kind of like adjusting to quarterback who came into the league amidst the read option revolution in 2012 and said, okay, we're, we're going to do this. Right. And he did a great job. And then he realized, Oh wait, my quarterback's also an incredible pocket passer. And Oh wait, like he has made the most beautiful deep ball, you know? So, so it was interesting to watch that offense kind of evolve in real time. Um, you know, and he had Doug Baldwin and uh, intermittently some interesting skill players, but never like a Galladay Jones kind of, duo you know um but he did really love dialing up explosive shot plays off of play action which is kind of thing you saw last year a little bit um you know with Detroit and I think I I believe he's got to want to build on what you saw in the first few weeks of last season um I, I you know coming in perhaps there was this feeling like oh you know Stafford thrived that one year with Jim Bob Cooter with the short passing you know and um, I can't imagine he would want to go back in that direction given how successful the offense looked. Um, like I said, I, I, I would prefer that team ran the ball less situationally. Uh, and I'll be interested in seeing how they use the backs because Swift is such a good pass catcher. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they really try to integrate that a bit more, you know, into the offense. But other than that, it, it, it definitely is an interest. It's more of a committee to me. Oh, it's, I, 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 there's no doubt to me. Like I've seen a couple of people say that they think it's not going to be a committee this year, including some of our colleagues. And I'm just like, they're like, DeAndre Swift's going to win this job. I'm like, did carry on get hurt already? I mean, because that's the only way that's going to happen. Yeah. Like it's That's gonna weird. be a split. Like any everything that Matt Patricia has ever done, everywhere he's gone, has always been. I want to have three, four backs. You know, from fantasy purposes, we we both know that drafting a New England running back, at least, yeah. really, I think before this year with Sony Michelle, like, is well, all right. You can maybe count on for like eight to ten weeks, but you're not gonna know which weeks those are. Like, ideally, I think that's what he would like to have. And then, yeah, I think. Yeah, I was going to say the, the thing in New England, too, the, the use of the different backs has, has become super super predictable, right? Like if Sony Michelle's on the field, you know they're going to run the ball. If James White's on the field, you know they're going to pass it to him. So I would be curious to see if – like DeAndre Swift, I think, is really versatile. You can have him on the field. You could have him on the field for every down. But I think um, I'd like to see them used interchangeably rather than having it sort of turn into that sort of predictable committee. Well, I think that's where maybe Bevel might come in and use more of his influence because I think he would probably want to see that. And carry on, although he hasn't shown it a ton, can catch passes out of the backfield. You don't necessarily want Bo Scarborough doing that, but <laughs> I quietly really like Bo Scarborough. <laughs> oh, he's he. So he, I think he's a better runner than people give him credit for. I think he got a really he got a really bad draft situation because he went to probably one of two places in the league at that point when he was taken in Dallas where yeah. you're, you're just not going to get carries because they're going to give it to Zeke. And as long as Zeke's healthy, that's what it's going to be. And then he bounced around a little bit. And yeah, he's, by the way, an unbelievably nice human being. He is like the most friendly guy in that locker room. I actually went down to Tuscaloosa. He was, he went back to Alabama to finish college this year. I went down to Tuscaloosa with him. Like, like he was like, yeah, come down and hang out for a day. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, no, he, which, hey, as reporters, like, that's what we like. You're like, oh, I can come do this thing and watch you do this? Awesome. Uh, he, yeah, I think he's sneakily going to play a bigger role than people think. But the other <laughs> guy in there is Jason Huntley, who they drafted, who very much is like the J.D. McKissick, which obviously Daryl Bevel loves having that type of back as yeah. well to kind of mix things up like is that has that always been a staple of him um yeah it it was in seattle right but it's funny because i think sometimes people think of lynch as like a bruising power back when in fact he was like a a very good pass catcher um and very versatile (laughs) and uh he just kind of he's gigantic and looks a certain kind of way but um you always saw seattle 
through the draft as well, trying to find change of pace backs and Bevel absolutely integrated them in surprising and interesting ways. You know, it was was quite creative. Um, He was also limited a lot in Seattle by how bad the offensive line was after that first year or two. Um, That really impacted the run game. Although the run game was also augmented by the presence of Russell Wilson in those early years because he was, you know, a run threat as well. So um, I, I think it's, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something he does in Detroit, but again, it's like such a different group. And even, I mean, the offensive line too is so different. I, I, um, I remember when I was looking at the signings for Detroit, one thing that jumped out to me was with the Vitae signing uh, at right tackle, that should really help the run game because he's a very good run blocker. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of an overpay and obviously his size, you know, but um, he, he is a very, very, he's very, very good at blocking for the run. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see an improvement on the right that runs going behind the right side of the line. I, I think they're going to need him to be too, because that right guard spot is maybe the one spot yeah. on the entire roster that not great. I, I could, not only that, you couldn't predict who's going to, be there at this point. I, I think that if they mm-hmm. had their off season, it might have been Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson, round yeah, I was thinking out of Ohio that, yeah. State. But can you throw a rookie in? Like again, like we were talking about, they opened against the Bears against that defensive front. Can you throw a rookie in who's never played an NFL snap before, even in the preseason? I, I don't know. That's a. I think that's a yeah. tough ask, which probably leads to Kenny Wiggins starting at right guard which you know obviously one of like you were talking about Matt Patricia and questionable and rigidity and all that the biggest thing mystery to me still 12 months later is that they rotated on the offensive line last year including Graham Glasgow who was a better player than Joe Dahl or Kenny Wiggins but they decided Mm. they wanted to rotate and I mean there are different reasons I think people and my different theories as to why but Kenny Wiggins might be your starting right guard or Ode Abouche, another, you know, a, a guy who's worked with Bevel. Like, yeah, I, none of those names should inspire confidence when you're playing next to a guy who's really getting his first true, like expansive experience as a full-time starter in Vitae. Like that right side of the offensive line could be problematic for the Lions offense to say the least. I think everywhere else they're good. Yeah. I think it's the line was like, to me pretty average last year not a train wreck not a strength and I have them kind of coming in around there again this year the Glasgow loss I think was big um who's the right tackle with Wagner he was not good so I thought Vitae coming in could actually be a bit of an upgrade so you got you know some strength that the tackle position Ragnow's good um I just call him Ragnow when when you guys drafted him I just he's such a center name right Um, with a name like that, you really can't play any other position, but yeah, so there's holes, but I think there's enough, um, of a veteran presence at the other positions to have some solidity there. I mean, by the way, you're talking about like your prototypical offensive lineman. He has a fishing YouTube channel and like, you know, and that's great. (laughs) I mean, and he's from like Minnesota and like, I I don't know if you can get any more like stereotypical offensive lineman Uh, than... (laughs) than what Frank Ragnow likes to do. Uh, It's going to be an interesting year. I know you said like you thought that really any team can, can win this division realizing that predictions are (laughs) at this time of year. And especially this year, I mean, how do you really handy? I know we're talking a little at the top, but how do you really sit there and handicap it? Like, it's just a whole mess of nine and seven in there. Um, <laughs> so that's tough. I, I'm going Packers. I gave a slight edge to the Packers. I'm going to stick with that just because, and this is, it's funny. I'm like, I really do my best to be, to really try to go through Jeff's charts, you know, which is always hard when you cover things nationally to go yeah. team by team and all that. Um, and to not be the person who says the really like unscientific um, like corny thing, like a cliche, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, which is I think Aaron Rodgers is gonna be fueled by spite this season. And I, I, uh, I, I really do. Um, and so I'm giving I'm giving him a, a bounce back season, and I like that defense. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if 
like the Aaron Rodgers anger tour, like teacher <laughs> should go really on sale. Be great. I, but the thing is no fans will be able to wear them in any stadiums potentially, at least not in green Bay for, for when the lions play up there in week two, they're not gonna be able to wear them oh. because no fans in Lambeau the first month. And we'll see if there are fans everywhere, anywhere. One last thing I wanted to talk to you about before we let you go here is obviously league wide this, and we covered this on the podcast a bit last week, but, Matthew Stafford's false positive. Where mm-hmm. do you get the sense from a league perspective of the level of concern that that's going to happen? Because that could – like we're talking, you know, about guys being healthy and got, got teams having maybe full strength. That could be a major impact almost every week of the year potentially. Like what's your sense from talking to people like of the concern of that? Um, about the false positives or just guys testing – actually testing positive before – because well, I mean, the, 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 the late the late in the week positives yeah yeah so the false positive thing i my heart goes out to kelly stafford because setting aside everything else she has been through and that family um it's like a horrible problem with no answer right i mean the problem with i, I said this on the highly questionable the other day like when guys started testing positive and to see earlier in the summer and their names were getting out like Ezekiel and they were upset. I was like, wait, this is the NFL. Like everybody knows everything about your body, which is crazy, but that's this bargain we make. But she really drove home for me what is so different about coronavirus from like a, you know, torn MCL or whatever, which is that it, it has ramifications not just for you, but your family and everyone around you, right? Like a, a false positive sets off this trigger, like this chain reaction. Um, and it can be devastating. Um, problem is, football, if a guy isn't on the football field, we know. And, and not just on game day, during the week. Um, it, so, you know, it's, it's just all very, their health and availability is a very public part of playing the game. So I don't think, I think it's going to be something that's going to happen all season. I think as far as it affecting games, I think we're going to see something similar to what we've seen in baseball, quite frankly, which is like the best analog for the NFL because of the lack of a bubble, the combination of the lack of the bubble and the attempt at having rigorous standards, which I firmly believe the NFL is trying to do. There, there are going to be outbreaks. There are going to be weird late absences and the league is going to muddle along. I firmly believe that. Um, it's going to be a weird season and I don't remember. I think it might've been JJ Watt who said like the team that's the healthiest might just be the team that wins and it's messed up, but it could be true. Do you, I got asked this question because I did, I was a guest on another podcast earlier today and they asked me, so do you think they're going to get through the season? And I'm like, I don't freaking know the answer to that, but I'm going to ask you that question anyway. Like, do, do you yeah. think they get through the season or do you kind of live in maybe my camp of, I think they're going to start, but I don't know how far they're going to actually get. I think they're going to finish. I just don't know if it's going to be on February, whenever the Super Bowl is. I think we could see a situation. There could be a stop, start, delay, that kind of thing, especially in the postseason. Like, it's one thing for an outbreak to happen in the regular season, but if something happens in the postseason, all bets are off, right? I mean, so, yeah, I I think they're going to do everything they can to finish. I just think it might not happen in – you know, along the normal calendar. Right. And let's be honest, they, the benefit, one potential benefit if they don't have fans is that gives them a lot more flexibility of movement. For sure. Than if they did have fans. It, this whole, th- it's, it's going to be really. It's to me that they're considering fans, by the way, but I don't know. That's a whole other thing. Uh, I mean, listen, the Lions came out, like, we're recording this on Friday. They came out on Friday morning and said, hey, uh, we're still planning on having maybe fans on a reduced capacity, depending what the governor and the city of Detroit says. Well, right now the governor is basically like, no, 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 no. Like, you're yeah. not doing that. Like, depending on what region of the state in, you can have, have no indoor gatherings or like 250 max. Well, all right, they're not going to do that. And then even if the municipality of Detroit overrode that, like, they're not going to agree. It's... And that's just in Detroit. Too many teams, so many teams around the league, I think, are going to run into similar issues. It's going to be – this is going to be a season, I think, many times, unlike any we have ever covered. And hopefully this is an outlier and it's something we never cover again. Hopefully 2021 does not look like this. <laughs> yeah, but wouldn't it be right if the weirdest season is the one where the Lions win a playoff game? 
<laughs> well, I, I would go one better. There was when COVID started kind of really ramping up and there was questions about the football season and, and no fans is that wouldn't this be the year Lions fans were emailing me and whatever and saying, wouldn't this be the year the Lions win the Super Bowl where no fans could enjoy it? <laughs> wouldn't that be the most Lions thing ever? And I was just like, yeah, Lions Brown Super Bowl. All the or Lionsville Super Bowl all the way. Like, I would love that. <laughs> that's good. That's how that's going. It's gonna be a Browns Bills AFC title game and like a Lions. I was gonna say Eagles, but that's not even right because they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they just won a Lions Washington football team. There you go. NFC title game and all four of those fan bases can just be super annoyed because they've been waiting forever. <laughs> That sounds about right. <laughs> Absolutely. Mina Kimes, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. I want to thank my wonderful guest on today's show, Mina Kimes. You can follow Mina on TV this year on NFL Live. You can read her stuff when she does write, and she's a fantastic, amazing talented writer go find her piece on deandre hopkins it is going to be worth your time if you haven't read it you can follow her on twitter where she is also incredibly talented at mina kimes you can follow me on twitter and instagram at mike rothstein you can follow me on facebook at michael rothstein journalist don't forget leave us a five-star review but more importantly download and subscribe to this podcast it can only help us bring on better guests in the future and get some more attention for the pod. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank obviously my sponsors, Bet Online, Deal Dash, Manscaped, NFLSundayTicket.com, Regions Field in Ann Arbor, and of course Blue Wire for hosting this podcast. And we will chat with you again tomorrow. Hey, sports are coming back. They're back. Right now it's Sunday afternoon and actually golf is on my television. I'm really excited about Dustin Johnson being in the lead here around 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And with that or so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action. There's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ, Big Game Bob Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's a promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert.